0: hello podcast listeners i'm jill mccormick and i'm robin wall and this is afraid not podcast
1: and thanks for joining us for episode number 47 our final episode in our enneagram series which has been so much fun
0: i've really enjoyed this jill. it's been so fun i'm kind of sad to be wrapping it up
1: i am too. So this episode, we're going to tackle the third triad, which is the gut triad, which sounds lovely, I know, the gut <laughs> triad, and we'll deal with the eights, the nines, and the ones. So Jill, why don't you tell our listeners who the speakers for this uh, triad are? Okay. I have no idea. I know.
0: It's such a surprise. A surprise um, So our eight that we're talking to is Terry Vaughn. Bond. Terry Vaughn's counselor at the 7th Grade Center in Owasso and then our nine is our lovely co-host robin wall (laughs) and then the our one that we're talking to is amy simons and she is a counselor at the sixth grade center in owasso and the gut triad they're all they make decisions kind of instinctually they're in the anger triad and we'll talk about how that comes out in different ways in different numbers so Robin is going to give us a few quotes for each of these numbers. Yes.
1: So for the eight, a quote that was said by Muhammad Ali, which may sum up a little bit of how an eight might feel. The eight is the challenger. You lose nothing when fighting for a cause. In my mind, the losers are those who don't have a cause to care about. Interesting. And then the nines, a quote by Virginia Woolf is, you cannot find peace by avoiding life. It's a quote getting right to the heart of the nine. (laughs) And then a one, a quote that might be how they are dealing with life by Salvador Dali. The quote is, have no fear of perfection, you'll never reach it. So these three Enneagram types are what we're focusing on today and by the way listeners we didn't specifically set out to find three really close friends of Jill McCormick it just so happened happened that way to be three really close friends of Jill that are willing to spill their innermost secrets on afraid not so we really hope you'll listen and enjoy this episode and learn more about these three fascinating personality types
0: so listen in So we're going to start with the eight today as we talk about our continuation on the Enneagram. So a few things about the eight. Um, I have been told that I'm too blunt and aggressive. Doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. I enjoy a good verbal skirmish just to see what others are made of. In relationships that matter to me, I insist on being honest about conflicts and staying in the fight till things are worked out. It's hard for me to trust people. Justice is worth fighting for. I can sniff out other people's weakness the first time I meet them. Saying no isn't a problem for me. I welcome opposition, bring it. I make decisions fast and from the gut. I don't like it when people beat around the bush. I'm weary of people who are super nice. When I walk into a room, I know immediately who has the most power. I don't have much respect for people who don't stand up for themselves. One of my mottos is a good offense is better than a good defense. Don't mess with the people I love. I know I'm respected, but sometimes I want to be loved. I have no problem confronting a bully. If God wanted people to wear their hearts on their sleeves, he would have put it there. Under my tough exterior exterior is a tender, loving heart. And our eight that we're talking to today is Terry Vaughn. Welcome to Afraid Not,
1: Terry. Thanks for being here. Thank you
2: for having me. I
1: appreciate it.
0: So tell us, tell us our listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: Who well, are you? I think you already <laughs> summed it up in your introduction. of eight. I, I <laughs> sat here and cringed as I listened to um, your description. So just about everything you said is a lot about my personality um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I am married. I have a daughter um, that's a teenager and it's a little challenging at times. And I have a stepson that's 26 and um, doing well these days. And I have two wonderful dogs a fat cat, <laughs> and um, I, I, I work as a school counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about all I can think of right now. And the school counselor
1: job is how you and Jill have become friends, right? Oh, yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes.
2: We worked together for many years.
0: We did. And we fussed a little bit and we, it was fun. Yes. Because we're both aggressive numbers. So we fussed a little bit.
1: Yes. And I bet you. But not in a bad way. I bet it didn't bother either one of you. It didn't. Whereas if I had been on the scene, I would have been going, oh, no. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, no. A fight. Oh,
0: no. Oh, no. I need to hide under my desk. (laughs) No, we got told several times in the office that we needed to be quiet and we were fighting like sisters and we needed to be quiet because students could hear us.
1: Oh, that's funny. Yes, that is very true. Yes. (laughs) Well, how we would like to start with the question of just how you see things, how you see the world and other people and just the daily view. How do you see that as an eight? And what are your perceptions of, of what you come across?
2: So in the world, I kind of choose to um, surround myself with things that I can control. So mm-hmm. if I can't control it, I choose not to participate in it. <laughs> if I feel comfortable in it, I choose to get away from it. Um, so I, I guess I kind of view the world as something that... Um, Depending on what happens that day, then I, how am I going to handle it and be in control?
0: Okay. So control is big. Huge. And I will say, as your friend, that the one about don't mess with the people I love is so factual. Like Terry will come after somebody that comes after her people.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will not hesitate to slice tires. <laughs> figure a gas tank, bleach your lawn, whatever I need to do, but don't mess with my people. Because, and that happens all the time. People will wrong my friends or hurt my friends in some way. And my friends always forgive because they're loving and kind like that. And I don't forgive. (laughs) So I'm the one still holding the grudge after those relationships have been mended. And I'm still like, nope, don't like them. They wronged you. I'm never going to like them. So um yes I'm very protective of my friends very protective of my friends yes and
0: but you're a challenger of what's right like you want right to win
2: yes yes good
0: so if you are going to a party if you walk into a party what where do you go in the room do you go to the middle of the room do you go to the side of the room do you hide in the bathroom what do you do
2: well, it used to be if I had to go to a party, um, I'd probably be in the back watching people, um, seeing how people are interacting and what's going on. Um, now that I'm an adult, I get to choose if I want to go to a party or not. And so usually my answer is like, nope, don't want to go, not interested, um, unless it's with my close friends, um, which I have four close friends. Yeah. And uh, so that's pretty limited. Um, it's taken me a while to build that up. I mean, I'm only 47 years old and I only have four close friends. Um, but these days, if it's a, just like a party, you know, like for some, with my husband for somebody he works with or something, I usually just don't go. Um, I usually <laughs> just will go if, if hang out with my close friends.
0: But your people, when you latch on, they're there for good.
2: Yes. Yes, we're in it to the death.
0: Yeah.
1: I love that loyalty. I love that. That's yeah. great. It's great to have an eight for a friend.
0: <laughs> I always, I've had, I have a couple of eight friends, and I always feel when I have a friend that's an eight that I've accomplished something. Like I did that. I made that eight my friends. <laughs> it,
2: it's not easy to do. <laughs> I, like I said, I have four friends. So what does that say? <laughs>
1: One of my daughters is an eight and her genuine response of wanting to be around me uh, not every day all the time, but the times that it happens, I just, I guess I feel kind of, I can relate to what you just said, Jill, because she doesn't fake it. She yeah. does not ever sugarcoat, you know? So if that really sweet time with her, I really treasure it. And I, I value that she doesn't pretend you know what I mean she's so real and those moments that she's telling me I really want to hang out I believe her you know it's a Mm -hmm. really sweet thing
0: yeah yeah you don't ever have to guess where you're at with an eight right I love that about eight yeah
2: well and it's kind of hokey but I tell my friends I love them and when I say that I mean it like I wholeheartedly mean that I'm not just saying it flippantly or anything like that like I'm like I you know I really do care Yeah. yeah oh yeah Well, each
1: Enneagram type has its challenges and its strengths. What do you find that is challenging about being an eight?
2: Most of my life, I've struggled with controlling my temper and my tongue, Um, reacting before I think things through Um, and being, I don't know, just being kind when I'm angry Um, and just not reacting to cut people down is, is always been, um, a real challenge for me and still is, um, it's hard for me to control my temper sometimes.
0: Mm -hmm. So what do, what do you think people misunderstand about you?
2: That I do care. Um, I, there are the people that I care about. I care very deeply for um the kids at school um, when they come into the office and they talk to me I, I take that home
0: mm-hmm. I yeah. about it
2: later I, I pray for them um, there's many of them I still think about years later where are they wonder about them um, and I really do care about them um, I don't think that always comes across because I'm kind of dominant I'm not kind of I am dominant and bossy and think I'm always right so it' does not <laughs> I'm across that I genuinely care and um, that inside I, I really do.
0: Oh, I think it does. And I think that's one of the things about eights, particularly female eights. Um, I have heard said that female eights are some of the mis- most misunderstood number because we're used to that aggression and that forcefulness from males more. So when a female is an eight It's a little, I think you get misunderstood a lot.
1: One of the podcasts that I listened to recently said that for a a woman to be a CEO of a company, a great personality type for that job would be an eight on the Enneagram. And if she was a man, that people would just say, oh, that he's a hard worker. He's a Mm -hmm. Mm go-getter. But for a woman who is the CEO it may be that she has to overcome a lot of distrust and dislike from other women in the company that somehow don't realize that her getting it done and being matter of fact and um, taking care of business is a really good thing. And they somehow don't know how to appreciate it. So I agree with what you said, Jill, that, it's really common for an eight to be misunderstood. So I really, I hope that when people listen to this, that they realize, okay, I have an eight in my life. And, and it helps you unlock understanding how to love that person, just like Terry is sharing with us, just to understand what's going on and to, to know what a value they are as a person, what a loyal person they are.
0: Because there is a <laughs> tenderness inside of an eight. It's like a hard, hard outside, but underneath it's a soft there's a softness,
2: but you got to get to the underneath part. which is <laughs> But as you're as Robin, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking I have many work relationships. I have always started with you need to know I'm very straightforward. You know, I've always felt like for them to understand me, they need to know what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm always trying to, you know, at first explain that to people because I don't want to necessarily turn them off but I'm not going to change who I am right Uh, so -hmm. I feel like I kind of tell people that to kind of preface you know take me with a grain of salt for a little bit till you get to know me I'm really not as bad as I might come across at first um but I am very much what you see is what you get and I don't really hide much of anything
0: yeah yeah so for eights in stress It says that they go to a five, the low side of five, which would mean that you would become more um, isolated, more cynical. Does that sound accurate? Yes. (laughs) And by the way, what Jill is referring
1: to, listeners, when we're talking about what the, the reference material is that book that we've used in the past several episode, episodes, The Road Back to You by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. So that's what we're referring to.
0: And then in security, an eight usually goes to two. So you become more caring, more compassionate, more willing to show that part of you.
2: I, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
2: All right,
1: I, the next question is, How do you see the deadly sin of your Enneagram type in your life? And for the eight,
0: the any, the deadly sin for an eight is lust. And it's kind of a lust for intensity, a lust for confrontation. It's kind of that because eights, nines and ones are in the gut triad. They're also in the anger triad. And for an eight, when they're angry, it just comes straight out. You know, it is happening. So how do you handle that? Intensity and that passion that you carry all the time—it's
2: a challenge. I will say that, and that's something that I still um, continue to work on. Um, is you know, as I said earlier, one of the things that's very challenging for me is to control my temper and not to strike out at others. Um, and so, you know, my mother always told me my my biggest weapon was my tongue, and I still. Um at times, you know, I have to apologize to my daughter um sometimes for the way I react to things and uh, you know let her know that you know what I said and what I did was not appropriate and it was hurtful, and you know i'm still you know show her that I'm still learning um I have to do it to my husband more than my daughter um, <laughs> yeah. I usually don't do it to my friends I don't know why, but it's usually my <laughs> daughter and my son um you know, but uh, and my daughter and my husband, but um, you know, it's it is a challenge for me. Um, that and it will, it's probably going to stay that way. I would think most of my life, but it's better than it used to be. Um, and it depends on if I'm stressed or not too. If I'm stressed and there are added things going on, then I, you know, it, it tends to be more of a challenge than than if it's just. Mm-hmm. You know, life's going smoothly and there's just a little bump in the road. So it it ebbs and flows with life.
1: The authors of this book, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile, their opinion is that eights have more energy than any other number on the Enneagram. So that intensity and willingness, like the Mm -hmm. zest for life and the kind of ready to be full throttle, ready to get things done. uh, Do you
2: feel like, oh yeah, that's me. I agree with that. I am so driven when I have stuff to do.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: I to work till 11 o'clock last night because I couldn't go to sleep until I had some stuff from work, you know, some scheduling things taken care of. Um, I've already made up my mind that I'm going to get my house clean tonight. And as we're talking, that's what I'm sent here, how I'm going to, jump on this task and get it done. I am very task driven. I am, will not stop until I get things done and I will work till I'm completely exhausted, um, mm-hmm. to get things, um, finished and taken care of. And I get frustrated when others around me don't have that drive <laughs> and that <laughs> level of energy. Um, I, it's hard for me to understand that. Um, I, my husband's family, um, they're, Indian, and I call it Indian time that they're never in a rush or in a hurry. <laughs> in and I, I really struggle to understand that because I am, once I make up my mind that, you know, I've got to get something done, there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And that's why part of the thing with the Enneagram is that it's not that we need to cut parts of ourselves out of our life because that passion and that intensity is actually a good thing and we
1: don't we really would be doing something bad to cut that out
0: right right it's just we just have to figure out how to harness it Mm -hmm. or channel it so
1: so true what about an early memory from your childhood that you could recall being already in this personality type even before you even knew what the Enneagram was can you think of a time that You can look back and say, oh, that's so funny because as a kid, I, whatever, dot, dot, dot.
2: I've always had that, the sense of wanting to be in control. That's probably my biggest, you know, um, probably the biggest part that stands out to me. And I was kind of an only child my sisters were older than me like 16 17 18 years older than me and so they were out of the house as I was growing up they were gone and um we used to have some family come over and there might be times I was at my friends and they would go in my room and play and I would just be absolutely furious (laughs) Because they moved stuff in my room, and it was not put back exactly as it was supposed to be. <laughs> and I would completely take everything off my dresser, out of my closet, and put it back exactly how it had to be. And I would <laughs> tell my mom, never let them come over, never let them in my room. That is my stuff. And I don't know if that's kind of an only child syndrome. I kind of don't think only children act that bad. But <laughs> Um, it was it was a very strong, I mean, I just remember just being so mad. And even as a young adult, when I first got my apartment, um, my friends would come over and sometimes they would move stuff off my, move around on my coffee table to set their drink mm-hmm. and it would drive me nuts. And I couldn't wait till they left so I could go move the stuff back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just things like that. Or I, you know, I had to have lines in the carpet, you know, and, and it's gotten better with time. I don't do that anymore, but I had to vacuum every day when I lived by myself because, you know, I, I had to have those lines in the carpet it's that control um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that environment. And mm-hmm. that just without that, I couldn't relax. What uh,
1: side of the eight do you lean to for your wing? Do you lean more to the seven for your wing or do you lean more to the nine for your wing?
2: Mm, I don't know. You know
0: I'm Just knowing you, I would say probably seven. Because I think, because nine is the peacekeeper, seven is the let's just go have fun.
2: I like to have fun. I'm not, so I don't really care about peace as much. <laughs> 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 yes. Well, I mean, I look at that, I'm like, not everybody's always going to be happy with you. So that's their problem, you Yeah. Know? That's and I'm totally fine with that, and that's where Jill and I are different. I am totally fine with that, and yeah, yeah, don't sleep over it for a second. So,
0: but that's why sometimes I wish I could lean more into my eight wing because I envy that in my eight friends that you guys are just kind of like, like me or
2: don't, I don't care. <laughs> yep, and that's exactly how I feel about it. You can like me or don't. I have four friends. I don't need anybody else. So that's kind of my outlook. (laughs) My daughter, who is an eight, told me when she was in third
1: grade about a friend who had said that, oh, so-and-so told me she doesn't like you. And she told me about it. And I was ready to just bring the compassion and the hug and the, oh honey I'm sorry that hurt your feelings and the mother you know encouragement mm-hmm. talk and she said oh mom I'm fine some people <laughs> like it some people don't you know Come I on. mean <laughs> here's an eight for you as as a, a third grader she said that so
2: don't give it a second thought yeah yep. well some- and I've
0: mm-hmm. always thought, I've always remember one time when we were talking and you said something about that, you kind of had a need to be needed. And I was like, I don't think I have a need to be needed, but I need to be liked. And you were like, I don't need to be liked.
2: <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. I do remember us having that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that my job fulfills, you know, like yeah. I have yeah. to be needed. You're needed. Working as a counselor, I, I feel like, you know, I'm helping. And so, um. My job helps fulfill that need.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you love most about your number?
2: That I'm strong and I'm loyal, mm-hmm. um, dependable. Yeah. Um, I try to do what's right and stand up for what's right regardless of the consequences or what other people think. Yeah, you do. You do. I love
0: that about you too.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Terry, thanks
0: for being
1: willing to talk with us about what it's like to be an eight. And we just really appreciate your time and how you just shared with us so honestly. And we hope that you have an amazing day. I appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Thank you.
0: Let's move on to Enneagram 9s, and we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. So, what it looks like to be a 9. I'll do almost anything to avoid conflict. I'm not a self-starter. Sometimes I get lost in doing trivial tasks while things that really need to be get done get put off. I'm happy to go along with what others want to do. I tend to procrastinate. People seem to want me to be more decisive. When I get distracted and go off task, I give my attention to whatever is happening right in front of me. I often choose the path of least resistance. I find routines at work and home comforting, and I feel unsettled when something throws them off. Others see me as more peaceful than I really am. I have a hard time getting started, but once I do, I really get things done. I'm a what you see is what you get person. I don't think of myself as being important. People think I'm a good listener, even though I find it hard to pay attention in long conversations. I don't like to take work home with me. Sometimes I tune out and think about the past. I don't enjoy big social gatherings as much as quiet evenings at home with the ones I love. Being outdoors is very soothing for me. I'm often quietly stubborn when people put demands on me. It would feel selfish to spend a whole day doing whatever I want to do. And that is the Peacekeeper in a nutshell. And so our person that we're talking to today is my co-host, Robin Wall. Hi. Yes. It's so lovely to have
1: you. Well, thank you very much. And It's kind of turning the table so I can actually be being interviewed instead of
0: of asking the questions. And I will tell you from last week, it is harder to be interviewed than I realized. And I was like, this is actually hard. So let's get to it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you need to do that or do we already know about you? Well, I can tell you that the list you just read
1: from the describing of everything, character qualities of the nine, I felt like that's <laughs> just reading my mail. Totally, <laughs> absolutely. That's how I feel. So yes, um, I have, I will just go ahead and give a little background. So I've been married to my husband, Chris, for almost 26 years. In fact, this week, we will celebrate our anniversary August the thirteenth. Oh, happy our, anniversary! We're recording this today on August the fourth, and our anniversary's coming up. So August thirteenth, and um, I'm about to have a birthday actually in a yes few days. You are. I'll be turning forty-seven. Uh, we have three children, and one. Our oldest just got married, which has been so fun. So now I have a son-in-law. It's really fun, and we have. Um, Girl, boy, girl, 22, 20, and 16. And they're just such blessings to us. And love being a parent, love getting to be involved in their lives. And I love teaching music. So that's kind of a a thing about me that I have learned to embrace. That is something really a big passion of mine. So that's kind of me. And I guess the most important thing that I would say about just what, is important to me is honestly that I, I want to be one of those believers that um, I really am as authentic in my heart as I would seem on a Sunday morning. That's what I want to be. That's kind of my um, heartbeat uh, that I trust the Lord and that I'm so grateful to be forgiven
0: by Jesus. So that's my big, there we go. Ready. <laughs> and I love my Enneagram nines. I'm married to a nine. My nine friends are awesome. We need the peacekeepers in our world. So what is the lens that you use to see the world? Well, I am motivated
1: by avoiding conflict. <laughs> and to actually even understand that, to be even able able to verbalize that really feels liberating for me because I honestly was so in a fog for a long time. I didn't really even know that I would have even said that, but it's so true. And when I have honestly, through understanding the Enneagram, it has clicked with me and I really see it. I can understand why I do things now. I really value tranquility and Mm -hmm. peace. I really like routine. I am to a fault. I will have the same thing to eat for breakfast. <laughs> I have a same little order I go in with every little part of my, oh my getting
0: ready. The that's so funny because my husband, who's a nine, also has his specific things he orders at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I like to recharge in quiet, and so this is actually something that I've learned about myself relatively recently because I like people and I'm friendly and I enjoy doing things with friends and family. So I just assumed, well, that means I'm extroverted, right? But honestly, I have learned about myself that I recharge when I am quiet and maybe mm-hmm. it's just me by myself or if it's just a small gathering, just maybe just a night with just my husband and me, I really recharge. That's how I, I get kind of that... Take a deep breath, start again, and not a big crowd, not going out and getting all, um, having a big activity. So sometimes I feel overwhelmed with being on all Mm -hmm. the time. I am, as a pastor's wife, there are often occasions that I feel expected to be on. I feel expected to greet and welcome and talk to people. Those Mm -hmm. are things I love doing too. And I want to do that. I want everyone to feel so welcomed at our church. I want them to have multiple people talk to them and and say, we're so glad you're here. And it's a real big passion of mine. But the pressure to feel that I'm on and that I got my little um, pastor's hat on, pastor's wife hat is on or I'm at school and I'm the teacher, teacher. and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm leading the class and I'm directing the flow of the lesson sometimes I run out of gas with a, a gas tank analogy and I just feel overwhelmed and I just want to go and be quiet and just um hide in a bathroom stall for a few minutes <laughs> so that's kind of that's how I see the world and that's me and you like to be outside a lot
0: I like do. gardening
1: and stuff, you love that. I do. In fact, this morning I was thinking there's this beautiful little rose bush that I got recently and I need to plant it. Well, I had so many things I was doing today. And I got distracted. <laughs> I was out planting a rose bush this morning, <laughs> which when I listened to the list of things, how an nine can get distracted. I think that that was really an example of that. That's not the most important thing. I should have been doing some other things that were more important. And it's just an example of how it just kind of, I got
0: sidetracked and I get sidetracked. Sometimes. Well, i heard Ian Cron, I think talking about it. And he was saying that like, or maybe it was Suzanne Stabile, one of them, but like you can put cards of like all the things you have to do in front of a nine and to them, it doesn't make any sense of which things should be done first. They it's, all it's have to be done. So you just pick one. It's hard. I will
1: say that's something that I struggle with and Prior, Prioritizing. Yes. And knowing where to start or even I, I know which one's most important, but even though I know it, then I can still get sidetracked and do something else that I, I know I shouldn't be doing, but I just struggle with that. So. So if you go to a party, where do you go in the room? Well, I started thinking about this. (laughs) And I am motivated to go where there's not tension. Yes. (laughs) So usually, I go where someone is sitting all alone. And I just try to be friendly and make a new friend. And and I think, you know, how are they feeling? Maybe they need a friend. And that, but honestly... That sounds very nice, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does sound very <laughs> that nice. It sounds very sweet. <laughs> but if I'm truly looking at why I might be motivated to do that, I think there's a piece of me that just knows that's a safe place. I'm going to go away from any tension or away from any boisterous, loud talk conversations <laughs> that are that I I just naturally withdraw from. I pull away from that. I do. And I didn't even ever realize that that was true about me, but thinking about it and processing, I see it now. So I, if I'm going to find someone who doesn't have a friend and I'm making a friend with them, I'm just letting them talk. And it's just, it's a safe place and it's quiet. <laughs> so that's where I would probably go. Now, if it's time to play a game, I will You're be all on in. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love playing games i love interacting love laughing being with family and friends love it so much but if someone says hey let's have a nice healthy debate i'm like uh i'm gonna go wash the dishes or do we need to put gas in the car i'll be back you know i just don't like it
0: i don't what is it do you think about conflict that makes you so nervous that's a good question um like are you afraid that people are just gonna leave are you afraid they're just gonna be mad at you what do you think I don't like the
1: uncomfortable level of tension. I don't like the rocking the boat. The people are not agreeing. We had a recent big family discussion around our kitchen table about a topic. And um, we just kept talking about this one particular topic. And I just kept shrinking back and shrinking back. And Chris said, I can tell that Robin is so uncomfortable right now. (laughs) I know, but I'm not leaving the table. I just... It's not that I'm afraid I'm gonna get left behind, it's just that I don't enjoy it. I just want everyone you to get along. don't enjoy healthy debates. I want everyone to get along. Yeah. One of my least favorite things to ever see on TV is the multiple screens where they're all talking at once and trying to persuade their opinion. You know, They're trying to like uh, talk debate, over, yeah. oh yeah. I cannot
0: stand that, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably not going into politics. It's That's safe to saying. say. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so what do you find challenging about being your number? Well, I think that I'm kind of numb
1: to how I really feel sometimes. And to even notice that feels brave of me to say that.
0: Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> I just, I'm the one who would say when someone says, what do y'all want to do? Or what do you want to eat? I might say, I don't care. What do you want to go? Yes. I, to really identify with what do I really want, what do I really want to choose, mm-hmm, what do mm-hmm. I want to pick, um, I have to really know what I want. <laughs> and so for other personality types, that sounds like the piece of cake. Well, I know what I want. But for me, um, it's actually challenging to me to figure it out. And um, I can really tune out. I can withdraw from situations. I, can, I find it really hard to make decisions. And I want everybody to be happy. I want to keep everybody happy. I don't want to disappoint anyone. I very recently, as of this week, changed jobs. Yes, you did. I found that decision so hard, so difficult. And the main reason it was hard for me was not because I was excited about the new job. I am. The main reason it was hard for me is because I love the people so much at Barnes Elementary School. And so to think of disappointing Mm -hmm. them is excruciating. It's very hard to make a decision. So, And I have a tendency to start merging with whatever's going on around me. Like when I'm hanging out with Jill, I have a tendency to just enjoy the laughter and just be um, carefree and fun. And if I'm hanging out with a friend of mine... From college, I may tend to be more introspective and quiet talking. And it's just interesting because Uh I see uh myself doing that. I see when I
0: analyze, wow, I really. And I think that's why nines sometimes have a hard time typing themselves. Like if you kind of see yourself in all of the numbers, that's a good indication you might be a nine. Because you you have a tendency to see all of the sides of everything. In fact, inside this book, which we referred to so much. back to you
1: there's a page 69 paragraph that I thought that is me and here's what it says it says that nines naturally incorporate themselves uh, uh, into a measure of all the core characteristic strengths associated with every type. So nines can embody the idealism of ones, the kindness of twos, the attractiveness of threes, the creativity of fours, the intellectual horsepower of fives, loyalty of sixes, the optimism, the adventurousness of sevens, the strength of eights. But the unfortunate part about this is that the only type the nine doesn't feel like is the nine. Right. (laughs) So it took me a long time to figure out what am I on the Enneagram? Because I really wavered and could feel like I'm just, I feel like I'm a mix of a whole bunch of strengths right, and weaknesses right. and weirdness. How does it how do I fit? So,
0: yeah. Yeah. But nines are good. Like if there is a conflict or a debate going on, nines are good to have in the room because they can see all of the side, like they can identify with everybody in that's having the issue. That's true. I really identify with that for sure. So, what do you what do you think people misunderstand about you?
1: Well, I think maybe people don't understand how hard it is for me to say no.
0: It's mm-hmm.
1: extremely difficult for me to say no.
0: Yeah. How and, many times have I told you to say? It oh my
1: goodness, you've told me that often. <laughs> you've told me that often, and you're right. You're right. Um, I feel like I just, and I even can feel resentful in saying a yes, but I'll still keep going with it and still do it because that's just me. It's just easier for me to just keep on going than to say, no, I am not choosing to do that. So it's hard for me. That's what people may misunderstand about me. Um, And something confusing, you know how the three numbers, eight, nine, and one go together because they're the gut triad Mm -hmm. or the Anger. anger triad mm-hmm. when I first was figuring out, okay, I think I'm a nine part of me thought, well, I don't get it. Cause I'm just not angry. Why am I in the anger triad? What is that? And I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned that what I do is I bury mm-hmm. my anger mm-hmm. and resentment. I bury it deep, so deep that I don't even know it's there. Yeah. And then sometimes in a moment of frustration, I feel like a passive aggressiveness where that just... those it kind of seeps out yes, of a nine. yes, Yes. And I may feel... I may be harsh. I may be unkind. I would say this has especially been seen within the four walls of my home where I'm really, really real with my family members. So that... <laughs> understanding that about me is... It's not pretty, you know? I don't love that about me, but that's true that I... I bury that anger. Um, so, and something that people may not misunderstand, may misunderstand about me is that a conversation that's just a fun lively debate between friends that some people may think that was so great. We had this <laughs> best conversation ever. I may go home and feel like that was an intense conflict. I am so uncomfortable. I
0: just wanted to get out of the room. I just wanted to get mm-hmm. out of the car. I wanted to crawl under the table where they like, were thinking, and I, I was were great. just talking about fussing with each other and it was fine. And we were having a good time. <laughs> yeah. you would have not me. I would yeah. rather leave the room than
1: stay where there's conflict. Really? I have mm-hmm. to, discipline myself to be like okay this is okay I can stay here I can calmly be a part of this discussion it's okay
0: where do you go in stress and strength as a nine
1: in stress I go to a six and the loyalist the six they can be overcommitted. yes ding ding mm-hmm. ding that's me <laughs> <laughs> They can be worried they can be reactive and start to just second guess myself, self-doubt. Can I really do this? Can I really pull this off? I probably can't, that kind of thing. In security, I go to a three, the performer, and I can be, I can really see this in myself. When I'm in a healthy place and I'm feeling good, Mm -hmm. I am goal-oriented. I can make decisions. I can be confident. I can get a lot of things done and work really hard. So that's part of me that is kind of a, when I'm, when things
0: are clicking, that may be, I may show that. Yeah. And then the deadly sin of a nine is sloth. Mm
2: -hmm. So what
0: does that look like? Well, when I first read the book, I thought, well, what is, I'm
1: not lazy. Is that what that's saying? But honestly, it's not about laziness. Sloth is more about numbing out and just having this slowness to get going. Um, sometimes I just resist how I need to really know how I feel. So I can just mm-hmm. kind of withdraw mm-hmm. and kind of uh, pull back into myself instead of dealing with things. Um, I need to, I'm trying to learn how to embrace understanding my own heart and my relationships when there's conflict to not be afraid of it, to not be afraid of it. So that's something that a slothfulness, I would, I'd be afraid. I'd just stay in the dark and stay on the couch and just not confront how I really feel.
0: It's more of kind of a going to sleep to all that.
1: Mm -hmm. And part of that slothfulness is also seen in a passive aggressive behavior of procrastinating Mm -hmm. and avoiding things it's not like I'm not going to get it done, but I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna have all these other things that keep pushing it to the
0: background. on my own time,
1: yeah. <laughs> so that's I definitely deal with that, and it's really eye-opening for me to understand that about myself
0: to know how I click. So yeah. Um, what is? Do you have an early memory that you can look back on and go, "Oh, I've always been a nine. Yes,
1: a, a story that I have been told dozens and dozens of times that happened before I even have memories of it. It happened when I was about two and a half or so, and my aunt and my cousin had come to visit my mom and I, and my cousin Heather is four months younger than I, so we were just always playmates all of our lives, and just there we were as two and a half year old little girls, and we had the toy chest opened, and my mom and my aunt were just sitting in talking, visiting, watching us play. And I was picking up blocks carefully, precisely, putting them exactly on the edge of the toy chest on this little rim. And I'd line them all up, get about 10 or 12 little blocks all lined up. And my cousin Heather would watch and here she's two years old too. She yeah. just thought, oh, that looks fun. And she would just knock them all off. Uh-huh. And then I would just sigh a deep, deep sigh, like, <sighs> and I would start over never cried never push her down no no I just would sigh start over well that story whoa there's a nine I'm gonna pretend I'm not mad I'm gonna pretend I don't care (laughs) I'm just gonna keep everybody happy I'm just gonna keep doing my thing so there's a nine for you
0: even at two years old yes wow yeah that's pretty cool huh what do you love most about being a nine?
1: I would say one thing I love about being a nine is that I am very open and receptive to God and to people. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard for me to get along with everybody. It's not hard for me to hear a spiritual truth and believe it. Right. I can hear it. I can read it. And I just, I don't struggle to accept it. I just think, yes.
2: Bible says I, and it, I, so I believe it. And I believe it. I know.
1: And so I love that about me because I know that other personality tra- types, they, they really must wrestle. They have to mm-hmm. wrestle and they mm-hmm. can't avoid it. So the fact that I can trust easily and rest in God's love and rest in the fact that He has made me the way I am, that's something I, I love about being a nine. And I do love trying to keep the peace. Uh, there's a verse in Romans 12 that says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Mm -hmm. So there's like
0: a
2: quote for the nines.
0: (laughs) That's something I I do love about being a nine. And I love nines. Yes, we definitely need the peacekeepers in our life. Do you have a wing that you lean towards more than the other? You can be a nine, because if you're a nine, you can be a nine with a one wing, or you can be a nine with an eight wing. Yes,
1: I have a one wing. And the way that I've been able to discern that is that I have a strong sense of the difference between right and wrong, which is part of a a one. Mm -hmm. And then the one energy that can be really come into play when I'm in a healthy place and I'm working hard, it helps me be focused and achieve accomplishments and be confident. I can also be really self critical in that space. I can think it's not good enough. It's not perfect enough. It's not, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not enough. So that's a critical voice. And then also just the orderliness that I strive for. I am a bed maker, like every single day of my (laughs) life, make the bed. I cannot think of one time I didn't make the bed the entire COVID-19, seriously. That is not my life. So that's, I mean, how weird is that?
0: That's me, but So there I am. That's why sometimes you just need your seven friend to go. It's fine. I paint the wall. It's good. I need my seven (laughs) friend. Thank you for helping me lighten up and learn to say no, right? (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. Well, thank you, Robin, for sharing your innermost motivations and self. You're welcome.
1: It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not all pretty stuff, you know. Because motivations are really revealing. They are but the more we understand, about what makes us respond to the people in our lives and respond to the Lord the way we do, the better we're gonna be as people. So Absolutely. it's really good, it's a win-win situation. Yeah,
0: all right. So for our last um, number of the Enneagram that we're gonna discuss, we are going to, to the ones. So we're gonna end with the one, that's funny, okay. Um, What it's like to be a one. People have told me that I can be overly critical and judgmental. I beat myself up when I make mistakes. I don't feel comfortable when I try to relax. There's too much to be done. I don't like it when people ignore or break rules, like when the person in the fast line at the grocery store has more items than allowed. Details are important to me. I often find that I'm comparing myself to others. If I say, I'll do it, I'll do it. It is hard for me to let go of resentment. I think it is my responsibility to leave the world better than I found it. I have a lot of self-discipline. I try to be careful and thoughtful about how I spend money. It seems to me that things are either right or wrong. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I could be a better person. Forgiveness is hard for me. I notice immediately when things are wrong or out of place. I worry a lot. I am disappointed when other people don't do their part. I like routine and don't readily embrace change. I do my best when working on a project and wish others would do the same so I wouldn't have to redo their work. (laughs) I often feel like I try harder than others to do things correctly. And that's what it's like to be a one in a nutshell. And our one that we're talking to today is Amy Simons. Welcome, Amy. Thank
1: you. We're so glad you're here to be on Afraid Not and talk with us about what it's like to be a one. So would you just start us off Thank you for having me. Oh yeah. Just start us mm-hmm. off with telling our listeners a little bit about you and your just kind of, uh, your life, your job, family, just kind of in a nutshell.
3: Okay. Um, like you said, I'm Amy Simons. Um, I am married to David Simons, who was your five that you had on a couple of weeks ago. That's nice. Um, we have We have three kids. I have um, Zach and Hannah, who are twins. They're 25. Um, And I have a daughter that is Abby that is 18. Um, Our daughter, Hannah, just got married. So now we have a son-in-law, Caleb. Um, And I work as a school counselor um, here in Owasso at the 6th grade center.
0: That's right. And that is how Amy and I met. Yes, it is. In 2008 or
3: 2007?
0: 2007. 2007.
3: Cool. And Jill knows my oneness more than about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy knows my sevenness very well too. <laughs> yes. It's made it's made for a fantastic combination, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. That's awesome. But some things
0: we had to work through whenever Jill didn't do great with details, but that's a whole other thing.
3: Right. And and Amy had to work through being a little detail oriented. <laughs> So,
0: okay, so tell us, what
3: is the lens that you
0: use to see the world? How do you see the world as
3: a one? Um, I, in thinking about this, I'm a very task-driven person. I am a to-do list queen. That is like, if I can write a to-do list in the morning and have it all checked off by the end of the day, it is just the greatest feeling ever. So I think that's kind of how I look at at the world, is what what do I need to accomplish Today.
1: The power of the check mark.
3: <laughs> it it is and it's I figured out how to make check iPhone on my notes because it makes me so happy to check mark something off my list. hmm
0: And we call her this the spreadsheet queen.
3: I do I do like a good Excel and Google Sheet. Yes, yes. I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so here's another question for you. As a one When you're going to a party, you're going to a group you know, gathering of some kind, what goes through your mind? Where do you wanna go when you're walking in the room? Do you like to go to the kind of the sides, find someone who's just one-on-one conversation, go right into the thick of things in the middle, go in the background and help serve? Where do you gravitate?
3: A lot of times it depends on what the party is. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a good mood and I'm with people that I enjoy and love, I'm right in the middle of it. Um, I can have a great time. Um, If I'm not so sure, um, I'll tend to to kind of go to the side and watch and kind of determine where where should I be? Where would be the best place for me? Um, Who do I know? Who could I talk to? Um, When I'm more uncertain about it, I tend to do better one-on-one talking to people or like in a very smooth, but if it's a group of people, I know a lot of them and I, I'll jump right in the middle.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Jill's just going to be the amen chorus. Robin will come along. All three of us would be on the dance floor.
0: I would. Yes, I know. Okay. Oh, okay. sure. Yeah. So what do you find challenging about your number?
3: Um, one of the things I think I find the hardest is because order and organization and, and that type of thing is so important to me. And it it makes me feel good when things are in order, I think it's perceived that I have it all together. And a lot of times on the outside, I may look that way, but on the inside, I'm a screaming mess. And so at times when people will come to me, I still want to be there for them. I still want to help them. That's, that's kind of my drive. But in the back of my mind, I just want to go, do you have any idea what's going on in my head right now? And so sometimes I think that's, that is a misconception about a one is that we do look like we have it all together and we just don't really feel that way.
2: Hmm. Well,
0: I think the, the one, the thing that said, um, if I say I'll do it, I'll do it is very true. And so if you get over committed on things, you tend to start yes. a at both ends.
3: Right. And, and, and like you said, that's where you become resentful, but it's almost like you don't want to say that you're resentful because you just want to keep going. And then, um, kind of the the martyr thing kind of starts happening of, Oh, I'm doing everything for everybody. And I have to be real careful with that. Um, and I learned many, many years ago that if I'm going to offer to do something, I do it from not a place of obligation, but from a place of that I want to do it. And when I learned to be able to say the word, no, it was such a freeing thing because it kind of took things off of me that before I would just say yes 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 and then I would just be so mad because I didn't really want to do it um mm-hmm. but once that's I was able to say no it made a huge difference because you
0: and Robin both as a nine and a one have had mm-hmm. a hard have had to learn how to say no to things whereas mm-hmm. an eight, that's in the same triad has no problem telling you no I just think that's interesting I don't have
3: to- problem now I used to have a problem I've learned I you know it just I mean maybe, maybe so you real, can help me out
1: uh, I'm definitely <laughs> still in the I haven't <laughs> learned it yet camp
3: <laughs> yeah well I guess for me I just got tired of being mad about doing stuff that I thought I should be doing it because I want to and I want to and it should make me happy to do it not be frustrated and aggravated about having to do something Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very freeing for me to go, you know what, I'm not in a place right now where I can do that and do it with, with the heart and, that I need to. So I need to say no. And it's gotten easier and easier over the years to be able to do that. Um, and I know, but there, it took a while. It, it took there, a long while.
1: According to that book we've referred to throughout our series, The Road Back to You, there's quite a bit mentioned about the inner critic. And how mm-hmm. ones deal with that voice inside saying, this isn't enough or this isn't good enough, mm-hmm. or, you know, condemning what you're doing.
0: So, do you identify with that too? Oh,
3: I think so all much.
0: We critic in our head, but the but one's I'm, voice is somehow louder. Talk about what that sounds like.
3: It's, I'm the kind of one, if you will, that I can have a conversation with somebody and I will walk dissecting the conversation of how I could have said this different or how I could have done that you know I will do a job and, and if I'm not completely you know satisfied of how different and and it's not anything you'll see or you'll hear it's all going on inside my um and it just it at times you know it's overwhelming and it can all almost cripple me sometimes because then I almost become like obsessed about making sure I do something the right way Mm -hmm. Um, just to satisfy what in my, what's going on in my own head. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've had to really, uh, you know, honestly, you know, I've had to do some of my own personal counseling to work on those things and I'm glad I did. It's really helped me, Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's helped me to see it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and, and it's okay if I mess up, you know, it's okay. Right. Um, and, and, and that's a huge acceptance of myself. Um, probably in the last 10 years of knowing it's okay. I am going to mess up and it's okay. The world's not going to fall apart. Yeah. Um, and I've, and, and I'm figuring out and have figured out over the years that with each of those mistakes or whatever's going on in my life I'm growing from it and and I'm growing from those things Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the way I have to look at it I've kind of had to do a reframing of the way I look at things Um, and knowing okay you know my mother-in-law my wonderful mother-in-law would say you know what's your lesson you got to take some lessons from this we talk about things and and, and that's something I did with my own kids okay I know you might have done something wrong but what's your lesson from it Mm -hmm. and you know I started kind of applying that to my own life okay What's my lesson out of this? I know this didn't go the way I thought it should. I didn't do it the way I thought I should, but what, what's my lesson from it? What am I taking from it? My kids can, my three kids can tell you that that's one of the things I always used to say to them. What's the lesson you can get from this? And yeah. I think that kind of helps silence some of that inner critic.
0: Has it helped with the Enneagram knowing that your type just specifically has that voice that seems louder?
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And knowing that you know, it, it can be quieted, it's always going to be there. Because, it, you know, on the flip side of it, it also pushes me to do my best or to do the best that I can. You know, sometimes we think of an inner critic when we go negative with it, but at times it can also have a positive place. Um, oh, and so, cool. yeah, yeah, you know, it can, but overextended, obviously, is when it becomes a negative. Um, but it always drives me, you know, to, to excel and do my best as well.
1: And any ones that are listening that are kind of, um, really identifying with what you're saying, but also wanting to get to the healthy place that you have gotten to, where you've done the hard work, you've done the counseling, you've done the, um, (laughs) getting to the point where you can tell yourself, okay, I am this is going to be okay. I, I think that mm-hmm. for our ones that are listening, the mm-hmm. example that Amy's being able to share that she's worked through some of this and so you can too, that you don't have to just stay mm-hmm. under this overpowering for the, the inner critics in charge, but instead you can let that inner critic be really po- a positive thing in your life, which is pretty cool that you have that, you know, in your personality.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I've really noticed is that it, how, how being a one and having an inner critic has really affected my relationship with God, because at times it's, it's been really hard for me to go. He, he loves me just because he just love he loves me. It's not because of my works. It's not because of what I do. He loves me mm-hmm. just because he loves me. And, and that, and that can be hard for someone like me who I, I you know, a pat on the back does me so much good. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You did such a good job that I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I know that may sound a little weird, but it does. It warms my heart because it's like, okay, they saw me, they, they, you know, they, they see what I've done and, and it's kind of, you know, I think, but it's, it's times that's kind of hindered me spiritually because I've, I am on this journey continually learning. It's not about what I do it's just because of who I am um that God loves me I don't have
0: was it hard growing up that like when you were in church did you think of God as mad at you with that inner critic voice or was were you able to separate that does it make sense
3: yeah it does make sense I don't necessarily think it was I was mad at him I just always thought I was never good enough I haven't done enough I haven't done enough to win, to win God's love. Okay. I haven't done, you know, enough good in this world. I haven't righted enough of my own wrongs and you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've learned again, it's something that I've have, you know, am continually growing because I still struggle sometimes. I, you know, I, I haven't licked this by any means. It's, it's a daily journey. Um, but it's certainly something that I always have to remind myself. It doesn't make any difference it doesn't make any difference. God loves me no matter what. I, you know, I try to put my, I try to think of like my own children. It doesn't make any difference what my kids do. I love them with every ounce of my being. And I always have to tell myself that's how Jesus feels about me. Right. And I just have to always just remind myself of that And even um, so more. part of
1: And he loves us even more than we can humanly love our kids. You know, he loves us. Yeah. So much. Yeah.
3: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But for, for, you know, someone like me, who's the one who, who does have such that, that inner critic of accomplishment and have you done, it's learning to set that aside. And that can be really tough.
0: Yeah. So in stress and security in one, in stress, you, you tend to go to an unhealthy four where that critic gets louder. Does that sound?
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The critic gets louder and I can really, I withdraw. Mm-hmm. Um and just kind of go into myself, but I also will withdraw, uh, physically, mm-hmm. um, I can and withdraw emotionally. Um, but that's when I'm stressed and I, and again, it's something that I have to work on all the time, all the time. Cause I can get super hyper-focused on what I'm doing mm-hmm. at the time, whatever it happens to be. And. I, I have an uncanny knack of of drowning the rest of the world out because I'm so hyper-focused on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And So it's something I had to really work at, too, is to say, okay, you know, that needs to stay where it's at. I'm home. I'm with my family. I'm doing this. That can't be here. Um, but again, it's just something I struggle with <laughs> and, and, you know, security, work on all the time. In security, you would go to the high
0: side of seven, so you would become more outgoing, more fun, more
3: willing to take chances, right? Absolutely. Something? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I think that's part of where Joe and I have, have mixed so well is that that's, when things are going good and I'm good, it's all good. <laughs> <You can't laughs> um, the you know. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is. It really, it truly is. I mean, I I mean, it, that's where I go. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that seven is exactly where I go. I mean, that was not hard for me to identify at all.
0: <laughs> that's great. Like, for example, when, when there was a day at the sixth grade center when I was working there, and we used to dress up for Halloween
1: uh-huh. um,
0: as like even the teachers. And so Amy and I were roller derby g- girls that oh, day, and we skated around the entire building. It was so.
1: <laughs> I bet you had the best day. Oh my goodness!
3: I've always said I have always said Jill has brought high heels and fake eyelashes into my life. <laughs> those are things I would, Those are two things I have never ever had in my life, but I do now.
1: I <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, I'm curious. Are do you lean more towards being a wing two, or do you lean more towards being a wing nine?
3: To me, it's very situational. Oh. When I am when I am home, I am a nine through and through. Um, this is my place. I just, you know, I'm comfortable here. If I'm by myself, that's okay. You know, I tend to be much more of a nine at home. Um, in different aspects of my life, like work and, um, you know, church, different things, I am a more of a two. I'm more of a helper. I want to do, I want to, you know help people or help situations or whatever. So for me, it's, it's really situational.
0: Okay. So you probably, maybe you have equal size wings. Some people have. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, used both wings. So Okay. Your yeah, deadly, for- the deadly sin of your type is, is anger or resentment.
3: And you talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit earlier on. Yeah. Can you can you even talk about mm-hmm. that more? Yeah, I, it. Yeah, with resentment and anger, I'll I'll get. And Jill knows this. I mean, she's gonna go. Yes, she does. Yeah. Um, I get, I get super quiet, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I don't talk. And it's almost like I'm having to just process everything in my head. Because it's an expectation versus reality situation. This is how I wanted it to go. This is how it went. Now Mm -hmm. I've got to process my way through it. Um, And so I get super quiet. (laughs) Um, And I tend to let things build up too. I'm not, I've I've done better than that as I've gotten older, but... AC one that I just let it build up, and then all of a sudden it was like kaboom, World War Three, <laughs> because it was like I just I'd been having I had all this you know things. It was just it became one of those where I was just like keeping score. That made me mad. That oh, made me okay. mad. That made me mad. And then all of a sudden one little thing happens, and I just I blow up because um, I would just hold it in and not not react to it. Um, but yeah, kind of back to what you were saying about the resentment thing, learning to say no has helped with that a lot. Um, learning to be able to be more in control of what, you know, what, what I do and I don't do has helped tremendously with the resentment. I still struggle with it because things come up in my life and things happen. And I have a really hard time of letting wrongs go. If I feel like I've been wrong or my family's been wrong, Um, I have a hard time letting that go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: What's an early memory that you have that shows you that you were a one through and through where you can hear someone tell you a story about something you did as a little child or something you remember about elementary school where you see that perfectionist quality of a one showing itself?
3: You know, I I was trying to think of, of certain situations and I couldn't get any one thing to pop in my head, but I just always. I always wanted to please my teachers. I always wanted to do things the right way. I always wanted them to notice me. So I think just even early on, I had that perfectionism, if you will, oh, yeah. in me of wanting of wanting to do, you know, do everything perfect so that you know, they noticed or you know, it, it made some sort of a difference. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't think of any one particular thing. Just kind of that. I I know that that's how I was kind of growing yeah. up. Yeah. Absolutely. As a young kid. Yeah. So what do you love most about being a one? What do I love most about being a one? Um, for me, I love the drive that I have that, for lack of a better term, I'm just a steady netty kind of person. I feel like the people in my life can depend on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reliable. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, or I try to make sure I'm not perfect at that by any means, but, um, but I just, you know, I try to do my best for the people in my life. Um, and, and I, it just, I, yeah, that's the best I can think of is I just try to do the best for the, the people that I'm around. And um, I try to give of myself as, as much as I can and just, Help as much as I can, and sometimes I overextend myself, like I said before, and have to work on that a little bit. But it brings me joy, too. It, uh, it makes it, it brings me joy to be able to help and to do things. Um, you do, you do that well. Well, thank you. <laughs>
1: I'm looking forward to getting to know you even better now that I'm in the same building with you. So today was our first day together. We're recording this on. August 10th. So um, I'm looking forward to that, to just being around you, Amy, and getting to know you. And, you know, just um, grateful for your personality and grateful for how you've shared tonight with us what it's like to be a one. And we hope that all the people listening have kind of understood better how to love the ones in their life. So thanks, Amy.
0: Guys, thanks so much for joining our Enneagram series. We've had so much fun. I've loved
1: being a part of this with you, Jill, and learning a lot about all of these personality types. It's been a lot of fun, and we want to thank all nine of the people who came on Afraid Not and talked with us about what it's like to be their number. You know, we all, without realizing it or not, whether we realize it or not, we know all nine of these types, Mm -hmm. and the people we love can be better understood and better loved by us if we understand this it's pretty cool
0: so if you want us to go a little deeper and at another time we can do another series on this if you're interested let us know on social media we could talk about wings we could talk about a little bit deeper into the stress and strength or the deadly sins so just let us know about that
1: to wrap up this episode we're going to close with a quote from the road back to You." by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. And it's found on the very last page of the book, page 230. And this is what it says. May you have respect for your individuality and difference. May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, that behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. May you learn to see yourself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees you in every moment.
0: So the next time you hear from us, we'll be back to our regular interviewing people and talking about their sprays and knots. And remember to go and hit subscribe and rate and review us, and that helps to push our algorithms on the... Streaming. Jill just said algorithms. <laughs> I'm like talking. I'm like, what She's am I even saying? I do not even. Impressive
1: tonight. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you in two weeks.
0: Bye.